The Other Side podcast mission is to discuss important cultural and social issues relating to race, culture, gender, and equality. Welcome. Thanks again for joining us. In partnership with the Columbus Dispatch Editorial Board, The Other Side is featuring a series of special podcast episodes called In Black and White. The series is devoted to discussing racism and its meaning. These episodes will run in conjunction with op-ed columns appearing in the newspaper and on Dispatch.com. Dr. Terrence Dean and I will be interviewing scholars in relevant fields to try to answer some of the most important questions related to racism. And joining us today is Eric Farley, the Senior Vice President of Equity and Inclusion for the YMCA of Central Ohio. Eric wrote an op-ed column for the Dispatch about the importance of dialogue as a vehicle for cross-cultural understanding. Thanks for joining us, Eric. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're excited that you, you, you've been able to join us today. And, you know, I'm looking at your op-ed, and I was thoroughly surprised and, and encouraged when you talked about cross-cultural dialogue. As someone who's now in, in the role of diversity and inclusion, what does that mean in today's language um, in this racially hostile environment where we're dealing with implications of racism and police brutality and the growing numbers of diverse communities within our within central Ohio? Yeah, great question. It's really made me reflect on the dearth of opportunities we have to uh, build community and to share and juxtapose our lived experiences with others. And so um, for me, and I've always felt this way truly, dialogue becomes this wonderful opportunity for us to bridge the gap between people um, identifying in different ways, having different life experiences, having different goals in life. And it, it creates sort of a shared space where folks can be heard, where empathy can be developed, and my hope always is that some sort of action plan can be developed that brings in both my needs and your needs and the needs of the community to improve race relations or understanding of the experiences of people who are sharing space. And so in many ways, I think it's a lost art. I think this pandemic has allowed for us to think about or possibly even recenter most important things in our lives so that we can uh, emerge from this stronger and better understanding of what our needs are as individuals, as well as how we contribute to a larger society. So in your role at the YMCA, I mean, which is a fairly new position for you, for those of you who don't know, how does that look for what the YMCA sees as their responsibility in community um, for Central Ohio? Right, great. So in my role, and it is inaugural, like you mentioned, um, I am working collaboratively with cross-functional teams to look at the wise approach to inclusion, equity, diversity, and anti-racism through, you know, our systems, our processes, um, the structure of our organization. I'm also working very closely with our people and culture department, which is formerly known as human resources, to think about ways we can sustain strong and mutually beneficial relationships, not only with um, our employees, but also the Columbus-based groups and organizations. And so um, I think we have a wonderful opportunity with this role in particular to look at community engagement 
and with new eyes, you know, there are clearly some really phenomenal organizations in Columbus, both nonprofit and for profit that have similar values to us. You know, I would say our pillars include things like youth development, healthy living and social responsibility. And I think those might be wonderful pathways or portals for us to um, identify a shared space where we could create work sites for improving community issues, but also, you know, leverage our collective responsibility and, and resources to impact communities in different ways. Um, one thing that I love about the Y and I think is a carryover from my work in higher education is this commitment to helping people become self-actualized, right? And so we want individuals and communities to reach their full potential. And so figuring out what our role is in that process is going to be critically important. And I think part of that is serving as a facilitator of community dialogues, um, allowing folks into our spaces and transforming those spaces into really community living rooms where we can have this conversation about how do we uphold the values of the why and then also respond really thoughtfully and swiftly to some of the concerns we're seeing in our community around social ills. So it sounds like what you, you're doing is you're creating a large community center for everyone to be involved and to engage. I remember, you know, with a young kid, you know, we had the Boys and Girls Club, the, you know, the YMCA and all these other places where you can go to. But it seems like the, what you're saying is the Y will become a centralized place where dialogue can take place, cultural interactions can happen, it can be facilitated. And in your op-ed piece, you, you state how... Um, Columbus is one of the largest and one of the fastest growing cities when it comes to diversity. Why do you think that scares people when they hear that, you know, <laughs> that their communities will become more, you know, diverse, but also how they will see themselves as becoming more inclusive in their communities? I think that frightens a lot of people when you say, wait a minute, what do you mean these large numbers are happening? People are migrating to Ohio. Yeah, I think uh, given the shifting demography, you know, it's highly probable that people will be uh, working with and living alongside folks they don't know. Right. And I, I think there's some concern around um, maybe their own ignorance of what their experiences might be in life and how they may connect uh, with things they share. Right. And so I guess the, the trick is like, what do you do with that fear? Do you lean into it? Do you develop a courage to question um, sort of past experiences that may have given you stereotypes and assumptions about groups of people or experiences. It's interesting. We're doing um, training here at the Y now on implicit bias, and we're trying to better understand uh, the best way I can explain it is this fall, we've all been breathing for a number of years, information coming to us from media and the news and even our child rearing that communicates to us um, certain types of ideas about the world around us, places, people. And so, my hope is that people will lean into that and expand their worldview. But we know that there are others who need a little bit more handholding and, and seeing the value of sort of learning about others. Um, the interesting thing is, and, and we know this to be true with any sort of racial identity theory, is that, you know, you learn more about yourself as you learn about others. You develop a deep appreciation for what you bring to the table and how you're unique and different. But you also try to find ways that, you know, the other person's um, identities and experiences can um, enhance the world around you. And so it's a win-win, in my opinion, that we do take advantage of um, this increase in diversity we're seeing. Uh, the U.S. Census Bureau is, is articulating a 40%, 42% growth between 2010 and 2050. So this is a wonderful opportunity. The stage is being set. 
It's just a question of what we're going to do with it. And with us becoming more racially and ethnically diverse and seeing an increase in immigration, I think it's just a wonderful time to uh, reflect on who we are as a country and who do we want to be to each other. I think that's a critically important thing to ponder. I was curious, how would you suggest people go about having a dialogue when it comes to issues of race without people getting offended and people getting defensive? So that's the first part of the question. And the second part of the question is, is it worth having a dialogue with who's fundamentally opposed to your beliefs? So, for example, is it as a black person, is it should you try to have a dialogue with the white supremacist? Or are there just some people that you, you guys, there, there's never going to be an exchange of information or, or an understanding there. So it's not worth having those conversations or trying to have those conversations. Or do you think that it, no matter who you are, no matter what your beliefs are, you should always still try to have that dialogue? Yeah. Wonderful question. You know, in my opinion, um, a thoughtful dialogue only occurs when there's willingness on both sides, right? And while we can't guarantee safety per se, because we don't know what's going to come out of someone's mouth, what I'm hoping for is just openness, openness to hearing something that might challenge your perspective or what you believe to be true. And so when people are a bit hesitant to engage in dialogue, a number of questions come up in my mind about sort of um, why that is, what are they fearful of, you know, what ideas do they hold that may be sort of underdeveloped that they are running the risk of exposing and possibly having to rethink. And so what is going to be important is for there to be a way for us to make this engagement, this opportunity attractive. And I think placing this in situations and in places where it's easily attainable um, might be a first start. And then I think leaning on the experiences of those who engage in it to spread and be a part of conversations, I think that allows for people to get a hold of it and figure out where they fit into the, the puzzle. So, you know, having a conversation with someone who is a, a white supremacist, you know, I, I'm not even certain that on some days I'm willing to do that. Um, a lot of it is going to be some self-reflection on sort of where you are in terms of your energy and your willingness to be a part of a larger conversation that may or may not challenge your your being. And so um, I, I would definitely suggest to folks to uh, take inventory of where you are in that moment, in that day, as that opportunity approaches, but also just allow yourself to be open to hearing something that's different from what you understand to be true. I think there has to be an interest in something larger than yourself that pulls you towards a conversation about what people have an issue with and what agency they have to create change from things they view as problematic. And so I want to encourage people to do that. I think, you know, for us to be in community with each other, we have to understand the experiences of everyone who's sitting at the table. And I think those who are truly committed to that effort will put themselves in situations where they can not only be supported and upheld by some of the things they believe, but also may receive some critique for some of the ideals they hold. I don't know if that answers your question, but I'm thinking you did. out you did. loud uh, about sort of different approaches and some of the, the missteps that may be associated with putting yourself out there and being vulnerable for that experience. I wonder, you know, so what are these initiatives that are happening that you can share with central um 
YMCA um, or Central Columbus or Central Ohio. Um, are there some initiatives already in place? Are there things that you are, are expected to roll out? And how can people get involved? Yeah, yeah. So um, I've been here a little over three months. So um, <laughs> we're ready. <laughs> I haven't been here that long, but I think on day one, I recognized that people wanted to have a conversation, right? I think last year in particular, the last year and a half, um, I think George Floyd's murder served as a clearing call for a number of Columbus-based organizations to think through what type of relationship do we want to have with each other and what responsibilities do we have as organizations to not only provide a voice to some of these concerns, but how do we need to reimagine um, our structure, our processes, our systems um, in ways that might mitigate racism. And um, with that comes carving out spaces in the workplace for people to have those conversations about how identity intersects with the work. And what do they need in order to feel supported and feel like they belong at work? And it's important for us to see our employees and folks affiliated with our organization as whole people. You know, we have to look at them holistically. And there may be things going on in the world or even in the workplace that causes them not to be able to perform at their best. And so I think it behooves us to really allow for that to happen and provide a structure and some scaffolding for that to happen well. Um, And so... We piloted a program in February focused on dialogue. And the first topic we did was um, calling in versus calling out in terms of experiences uh, within the workplace, but also in personal settings where um, you may hear something that could be um, attributed as sort of racist or sexist or homophobic. And, you know, what are the sort of atmospheric conditions that allow you to address that issue in the moment versus later, maybe one on one? And so um, that was a wonderful conversation. I only did two for the pilot stage and allowed people to sign up for it. And what I learned is that, you know, since the pandemic, there have been very limited opportunities for employees to come together to have conversations about anything. You know, we've been in a virtual space. And then two, there's a lot of collective wisdom in this organization, people of different sort of ages and backgrounds. And so they're weighing in from different cultural perspectives, from different age ranges, saying, okay, this is how I understand what my responsibility is in managing conflict. And this is what works for me based on a number of factors. It's based on my interpersonal communication style. It's based on my, my energy for that day. It's based on how much time I have. It's based on me negotiating social capital in the workplace. And I, it was just a wonderful opportunity for me to have a firsthand account of what people are thinking about or what their concerns are. So I, I'm, I'm hoping to build that out after the implicit bias training that's happening um, this month. And it happened also in March. Another thing that's happening, we're in a season of assessment. When I got here, we really had no baseline data on what the experiences and perceptions are of our employees. And so uh, we're now doing focus groups with employees across the association. We're trying to get a sense of that. We're organizing individuals into um, racial groups. And we're trying to get a sense of their perspectives on the workplace environment based on their racial membership. And so we're hoping to learn a great deal about what people are experiencing and feeling and thinking. And then we're going to move into um, a culture climate assessment after those focus groups. So everyone can participate and we have some additional information about what their needs may be as it relates to um, our cultural climate and the work of DEI and anti-racism. So those are some of the things I'm working on right now. I think in addition to that is just working with individuals one-on-one. We have a 
our robust and growing ERG or employment resource group program here. Folks are saying that um, we need some dedicated affinity space to talk about um, our experiences in the world as well as within this organization. We need your support. And so I'm meeting with those groups individually and then convening them on a quarterly basis moving forward so that we can share best practices. We can talk about succession planning and we can have a sense about what is needed in order to strengthen those organizations to act as a wonderful retention plan for our employees who identify as folks from marginalized groups and experiences. You have a huge rollout plan, which is, <laughs> which is really good and impressive because you know, this is exactly what is needed in this climate today. So one last thing, and I, and I want to know, are there other, or do you find that there are some communities that are in more need than other communities in greater Ohio? Um, the Central Ohio area. And when I say that, you know, is, you know, are, are you all planning to do more rollout in, let's say, Worthington or versus East Columbus? Or would it be a equity across the board? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's needed across the board. Uh, we have 13 branches located in different communities. And so I think it's strengthening the ones that exist. And What's interesting there is that, you know, the conversation around DEI and anti-racism looks so different in community to community, right? Based on who's there, uh, what the priorities are, and sort of what experiences they've had with diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so I think I would say that there's more of a need than others because I I don't think I'm fully aware of all the issues that people may be managing. But I think strengthening those organizations, I'm sorry, those branches is going to be critically important. I would also say that uh, we have a new American Center. And so there is some intentional outreach done to folks who are are new to our community and to the country and trying to figure out ways to connect them to resources and programs. And should they have an interest in pursuing um, citizenship, providing um, appropriate support to make that happen, too. And so, you know, for our communities that don't have a why that's readily available, like within walking distance, there is a program emerging called Why Without Walls that might allow us to replicate some of those same programs and services in a way that is mobile or pop up and allows for us to engage communities in, in the same type of wonderful well-being approaches that we use within the physical spaces. And so um, I know that's being worked on now, and I'm looking forward to being part of that conversation about how we can add an intersectional lens to that to make certain that we're appropriately responding to the needs of the community, because I think it's going to look different based on where you are. You know, it's interesting. So I want to make sure, so the acronym for YMCA is the Young Men's Christian Association. Mm-hmm. Are there, and then there's Young Women's Christian Association, yeah. YWCA. There are a couple of things you just said, and I was like, oh, interesting. When you said the, the, um, the Y Without Walls, it reminded me, for those of you from the church, the church without walls. Mm-hmm. The community. So when you said that, it immediately sparked for me, oh, okay, this is aligning with the YMCA's mission with the tenets of the religious ideology of, of the church without walls. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know if that was intentional. I think um, the roots of the organization are always operating in our minds, but I think there's been a lot of intentional efforts to make certain that we pursue a membership of all, right? And so even those who have been historically left out of conversations around faith-based traditions. I think there is now um, a willingness and an interest to fully engage all populations and make certain that they have access to the resources they need to do their best work. And so I'm, I'm, I'm in love with that idea. I'm glad we do it. And I think it's time for us to even level up in terms of 
the work that needs to be done to make certain that everyone understands that the why is for them and they can gain access to it. Well, thank you, Eric Farley. We appreciate your time today for talking with us and speaking with us more about your op-ed piece, the importance of diversity and inclusion, but also cross-cultural conversations that are taking place right here in our own backyard. So thank you for the new role that you stepped into. We appreciate that. Good luck to you and, and all the success that you can encounter and garner. But thank you again for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. And for everyone else out there, be sure to read uh, the full column by our guest, Eric, and you can find it on Dispatch.com. And while you're there, please consider supporting local journalism by becoming a subscriber. And be sure to check back regularly for the next installment in the In Black and White podcast series. So until the next time, try to see things from the other side. Thanks. Thanks.